Good morning, church family. Are you excited to be here this morning? Oh yeah, come on. You can give a hand clap to be here this morning. I'm so excited uh, to be bringing the word this morning and the last message in our focus series. Uh, Pastor Craig is healthy. He's well. Uh, he's actually preaching right now as we speak in Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia at Crossroads Church. So he's been there all weekend uh, teaching about disciple making, which we know we're all about here, right? And uh, so he's doing that there in Atlanta and he said, go get him, Tiger. So I'm here with you this morning uh, to bring God's word. And so this is our last uh, message in the the series, we've been kind of talking about how do we focus in the year 2022. Now, how many do you want a rain check on 2022 already? Go ahead and raise your hand. Let me see you. Okay, you said, yeah, 2022 wasn't good, 2021. I mean, we thought that 2022 or 2020 was low, and then we kind of moved forward, and it feels like, man, can we go any lower now, you know? And so we kind of been talking about how with the new year uh, can we focus on some key areas uh, to really help us grow in our relationship with God and, and how to walk with Him more faithfully. And so we talked about focusing on Christ, we talked about focusing on our marriages and our finances. And then today I was joking with Craig, he gave me focus on eternity. I was like, Craig, what in the world? This is the biggest topic to be preaching on. Focus on eternity. I mean, that is such a huge topic. And so uh, I'm excited to be preaching about this and, and to hopefully stir your affections for what is to come and, uh, and to keep your eyes focused uh, on the Lord. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with John Piper. Uh, John Piper is a well-known pastor, speaker, author, uh, is at a lot of different conferences, kind of came on to the scene, uh, you know, right around when all the Passion conferences were, were happening. Now, Passion uh, is a conference where a bunch of college students 18 to 25 years old, come together uh, to worship God, to hear from various speakers. And so he was one of the kind of the continuous speakers of those conferences. And so he kind of rose uh, kind of to popularity through that. And so I was scrolling around on the internet this, this week and I found one of his most influential messages that he ever preached. Um, and one of those messages is called the Seashell Message. And all of you were like, what in the world? What kind of title is that for a sermon, right? If Craig got up here and was like, I'm going to preach to you about seashells, I think all of you would be like, okay, we need a, dude, we need a new guy. <laughs> and so he preached this, this message uh, to thousands of college students at Passion, and most of them can't recall what he preached about. In fact, he did an interview, and he said, hey, I was actually preaching in Galatians 5, but no one knows that. All they remember is a story about a retired couple, Bob and Penny, collecting seashells. And all of you are like, where are you going with this, right? And so he, at the, in this message, he's preaching to thousands of students and he begins to tell this story and compare these two different lives. And what he does is he talks about these missionaries, Laura and Ruby, who are over in Cameroon preaching the gospel to the, to the poor. And they spend all their lives preaching and, 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 and sharing the gospel and they die in their late 80s in a tragic car accident. But man, they gave everything they had to the Lord during their 80 years. And then in this, in this huge arena, he begins to pull out from his Bible this Reader's Digest. How many of you know what a Reader's Digest is? Okay, all of you just got dated. You're welcome. Truly yours. You can write a complaint and drop it in the offering box and I'll read it this week. Um, but a Reader's Digest, he pulls it out and he begins to read about this couple named Bob and Penny. Now, Bob and Penny are newly retired, and uh, they moved to Punta Gorda, Florida, and they got a brand new boat, and they're cruising the waters, they're going to play softball on the weekends, and they're going to collect seashells. That's how they're going to spend the rest of their lives. And so, John Piper stands up, and he says, here are two different lives. Which one is the tragedy? 
He said, which one is a tragedy? Is it the life that was fully sold out for the Lord all their lives and they ended their life preaching the gospel to the poor in Cameroon? Or is it the life that they're coasting on the waters in their brand new boat collecting seashells playing softball on the weekends? Which life is a tragedy? And it's in that silence, just like this. All of you were silent, right? It's just like this and you can hear a pin drop. And he echoed these words in the auditorium. And he said, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. In fact, that became one of a, a really popular book of his called Don't Waste Your Life. Many college students get it before they go off to college. But it's very convicting to hear those stories, right? You're like, Cameron, come on. That is a complete, that's, that over-exaggerates the point. Uh, missionaries versus, versus a retired couple. I mean, come on, Cameron. How much can you paint the, the two opposites? But it's convicting, right? To think about how are you spending your time now in the temporary to make an impact in the eternal kingdom of God? Because here's the tragedy at the end of the day, is that there's many people in this world today that spend their lives in all the temporary things of this world and make no significant impact in the eternal kingdom of God. That's a tragedy. That this entire time that they're living their lives, they're saying, hey, I'd rather focus on these temporary things of the world and I will make no significant impact in God's kingdom and the eternal but what I want to show you is that when we have a greater understanding of the world to come, it impacts how we focus today. And so go ahead and grab your Bibles to Philippians, turn to Philippians chapter uh, 3, and we're going to begin reading in verses 12 through 21. And if you're there, go ahead and say word. All right, thank you. I love when you talk back. You're more than welcome to talk back all day today. Uh, so here it is. This is the word of the Lord. Now, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, uh, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth has been attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, their end is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They focus on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself, and the church said amen. What a promise that we have here in Philippians 3. That there is something greater coming. That there's a new heavens and a new earth that's coming and Jesus is going to return to gather his people. That is a promise that we have. And Paul is unpacking it here in this passage. But before we can dive in, let's dial in a little bit what he's talking about. Right, because do you have a friend or a family member that sometimes you start talking to them and they just start talking without giving you the context? Anybody like that in here? You got some friends like that? It's okay. If they're next to you, you can bump them. And uh, so this is Paul. He's kind of midway through his conversation and we just kind of jumped in. So we got to back up a little bit to kind of understand what he's saying. Now, at the beginning of chapter three, Paul introduces this idea that because we're in Christ, uh, we don't boast in ourselves. We don't boast in our achievements. Uh, we don't boast in worldly things because we boast in Christ now because he has given us new life and we are walking with him. So we're not gonna boast in these things, but we're gonna boast in Jesus and who we are safe and secure in. And so he says this and then he begins to unpack his resume. 
right? This is an epic resume. He begins to say, hey, look, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was born a Hebrew of Hebrews, of Israel. Uh, hey, I was a Pharisee. I persecuted the church like crazy, and I'm blameless. In other words, he unpacks his resume, and he says, hey, look, I have a great lineage. I'm from a great hometown. I got a great position in my workplace, and uh, I do really well in my career, and I have a disciplined lifestyle. That's what he said. That's kind of the 21st century interpretation of that. He says, I got all of these things. And if you look at verses four and five, he says, hey, I consider all of these things as loss in order to gain Christ and to know him. He said, hey, look, I got all the accolades. I got all the promotions. I got everything you could possibly want from a worldly perspective. But he says, hey, I count all of these things as loss that I may gain Christ. You move down to verses seven and eight, and he says, hey, look, this is, my, this is where I'm heading. This is my goal in life. I'm gonna head towards Christ. Verse 10, he says, my new goal is to know Christ, to be found in him, be conformed to his image, and then uh, be with him in the next life. And what's interesting about Paul is that he, what he's saying is that he's saying, hey, look, look at my resume. These things were important before I knew Jesus. But now that I know Christ, I consider these things as nothing because now it's all about Jesus. It doesn't matter about all of these accolades I have, but it's all about who Jesus is and I want to know him. And so therefore, I consider all of these things as loss in order that I may gain, uh, in order that I may gain Jesus. You know, when you read in Philippians, you see these themes of humility and sacrifice and selflessness. In fact, if you were to read all the way through, Paul gives examples like Jesus, the ultimate example who humbled himself to the point of death, death on the cross. You see Paul say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You see examples in here of uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus who put the interest, above, uh, the interest of others above their own. And so you see these themes and what's happening, what Paul's unraveling, he's saying, hey, look, where your eternal destination is, it impacts your present focus. See, these men, these examples, and what Paul's unraveling here is he's saying, hey, look, we're so captivated with the new heavens and the new earth and that Jesus is coming back that it impacts how we live today. In fact, this is the main idea if you've got notes today, so go ahead and write this down. Here's the main idea. Our eternal destination impacts our present focus. Our eternal destination impacts our present focus. When we are fully captivated with the new heavens and new earth and that Jesus is coming back and that we know that promise is sure and secure and that we can lean on that, it impacts how we live our lives today. In fact, here's the tragedy that I see many Christians doing right now is they spend their time in things that are temporary. They spend their time with things that God gave to us in this temporary life that are supposed to be for our enjoyment and they elevate them to the status of idol. And it becomes, it becomes the end instead of the means to the end. And the tragedy is, is we fall for the illusion that Satan gives us. This illusion that this world is bigger than the one to come. That the world to come is nothing compared to what we're in today. And when we believe that lie, we begin to make decisions based off the temporary and not the eternal. And here's the deal. If, you're, if you get anything from this message today, here's, here's, here's a big thing to say. If Satan can't have your soul, he's going to distract you as much as he can. If he cannot have your soul, he's going to do everything he can to distract you in this life to make sure you don't make an eternal impact in the kingdom of God that is coming. And to say that he doesn't do that is to believe his lie. Because he's going to do everything he can to throw everything at you to make sure he gets you off the path so that when you get done at the end of the day and you stand before Jesus, you're going to look back and go, whoo. Yeah, I didn't really do a whole lot. I was kind of distracted there and I was distracted there and the enemy's going to go, cha-ching, I got gotcha. you. 
But thankfully, Paul gives us four points and he gives us four ways on how we keep our focus on eternity so it impacts our present focus. Here's, Here's number one. He says this, acknowledge you haven't arrived. Acknowledge you haven't arrived. Look at verse 12 with me. He says, not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Right, so we know that Paul, he's, he's sitting here and he's saying, hey, look, I, I unpacked my resume for you. I consider all these things as lost in order to gain Christ. And he says, hey, even when I did that, I still haven't arrived. And so we have to acknowledge in our own lives that we never truly arrive on this side of heaven, on this side of the cross, that we don't truly arrive until we stand face to face with our Savior and our new glorious body. That's when we arrive. That's when we're perfect. But in this world, we are, we are running the race. We're going to continue to run until he calls us home or he returns to get us. And Paul says, he says, hey, look, I have not arrived and neither have you. You know, what's interesting is when I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded of, a, of an article uh, that Billy Graham was in. It was uh, an interview of him right before he passed away. How many of you know Billy Graham? Raise your hand. Okay, most of us probably in this room. So a great evangelist, second to John the Baptist, uh, man, won many people to the Lord, uh, lived a phenomenal life, made an eternal impact in the kingdom of God. Okay, in the article, they ask him, do you have any regrets in your life? Is there anything you would do that you would go back and change? And he had regrets. Figure that out. Billy Graham had regrets. And he said, and he said several of them, you know, talking about spending time with his family and so on and so forth. But one that caught my attention, he said this one. And he said, if I could go back and do one thing different, I would preach less and get to know my Jesus more. I would preach less and get to know my Jesus more. In fact, in the article, he unpacks and he says, hey, look, I was traveling so much, talking with so many people, sharing Jesus with so many people that I almost forgot kind of who he was. And the reason why I share that with you is because we look at Billy Graham and we put him on a pedestal and we say, look at that. That is an example I want to follow. I want to imitate that man. And even that man, much like Paul says, I never arrived. I never arrived. I had, all these people had came to know the Lord through my ministry and my life. And he says, hey, I have not arrived. And if I would do one thing different, I would preach less. And I would spend more time with Jesus so I would get to know him more. That's Billy Graham. And I'm sure when he got to heaven, you heard the Lord. And he, they were celebrating and cheering him on. But here's a man that realized that he knew he never truly arrived until he got face to face with his Savior. And he made every moment, every conversation, every relationship count. Here's the second point that Paul gives us, is to ruthlessly eliminate distractions. Ruthlessly eliminate distractions. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Right, so now Paul is shifting his focus a little bit and he's saying, okay, hey, look, I haven't arrived, but because we don't arrive on this side of the cross, he says, this is not permission to be complacent. Did you hear that? So just because we say we don't arrive in this part of the world doesn't mean we get to sit back and just say, okay, well, I'm going to take it easy until Jesus returns because when he returns, it's a new heaven, a new earth, and he's going to make everything great. So why don't I just sit around now And then I'll just wait till he returns and it'll be all great. No, Paul says there's something to do. Everybody say forget. Everybody say forget. All right, thank you. I just want to make sure you're awake this morning. Now everybody say reach forward. 
All right, so Paul says, forget and reach forward. So you got two verbs there. He's saying, hey, there's something you're doing um, as you are waiting. There's something you're doing uh, even if you haven't arrived. And he says, what I do is I forget and I reach forward. Now that forget, when he says forgetting what is behind, many people look at that and say, oh, he was forgetting about his past failures, uh, which is not wrong. But I want to introduce to you a new idea here that maybe you've never really seen before. Not only did he forget his past failures behind him, but he also forgot his successes. So not only, so, so get this church, a lot of times when we, when we talk about sermons and feel good stuff, we're all like, oh yeah, forget the failures. Oh yeah, put it behind us. Oh, this is great. Oh, it's great to be in the house of the Lord, right? And so here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, look, not only forget your past failures, but also your successes. So as you're running the race, think of a runner, as you're running the race and you're running and running and you're passing people and all those people is, is showing your success to get to the front and, and get to the line. He said, don't focus on those things because what happens is when you start to focus on them, you begin to veer off. We begin to slow down and go, oh, look at that. That was good. Look at that promotion. I did a great job there. Oh, look, my kid's got a college acceptance letter. That's fantastic. And here's what happens. Here's, here's what I want you to hear from this, is that these successes and these failures do not define who you are. But what defines you is what Paul says is the, uh, is, the, is the call, the heavenly call that's in Christ Jesus is what defines you. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, hey, I'm going to stay so focused on the call that Jesus has called me to and I'm going to forget my successes and my failures and not allow those to define me because the moment that I do, then I begin to rest my purpose and my identity in those things and they begin to take me off the course that Jesus has for my life. So we put behind us our successes and our failures and we run the race. I get this picture. Paul uses this athletic imagery here. And he uses it again in several of his different letters to the churches. And he does it in 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. And he says this. He says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There's that language again, using this athletic imagery. As he's running the race, he says, here's what I do is I discipline my body. Paul says, it is so important. The race that I'm running is so important that I'm willing to discipline myself to make sure that I don't get moved off the course, that I stay the straight and narrow. He says, I'm disciplining myself just like an athlete uh, would do. Like right now, I'm trying to run and build up my endurance. And so what am I doing? I've created a habit where I'm running four or five times a week. But also, what is something that I'm laying aside? Well, I'm not drinking a whole lot of soda, bro. Right? Because if I'm drinking a bunch of soda and I go run, guess what happens? Right? You'll throw up. And so what he's, what is, what's going on here is this is athletic imagery. And he's saying, hey, look, you've got to put some things off, but you've also got to adapt some new habits. Right? And so here's two questions that I ask myself frequently that I think we have to ask ourselves weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly. The first question is this, is what habit or sin in my life do I need to lay aside to be focused on eternity? And then question number two is what habits do I need to adopt in my life to make sure I stay focused on eternity? And this is not a do-good sermon to sit here and think, okay, what can I do, what I can't do? Thankfully, because we're in Christ, we've been empowered with the Holy Spirit to even ask these questions and actually even make the change in our life. So before you even begin making this change, you need to make sure you've got a relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult. But we get to ask these questions because we've been empowered with the Spirit to be able to lay aside that sin, to be able to take on new habits in our life. You know, even King David, you know, King David even asked himself this question. 
He even asked God to search his own heart. Psalm 139 says this, Search me, O God, know my heart. Trust me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Even David was saying, God, search my heart. Is there any anxious thought in me? Is there anything that is offensive in me so that I can stay the course on the way everlasting? That I, in other words, so I can stay focused on eternity. Even David prayed that. And that's a prayer that we should all be praying in our own lives. Here's the third point uh, that he gives. He says, surround yourself with eternity-oriented people. Surround yourself with eternity-oriented people. Look at Philippians 15, uh, or chapter 3, 15 and 19. He says, therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example uh, you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame. They are focused on earthly things. So Paul says, okay, you haven't arrived. You're going to forget and reach forward. And then he says, okay, as you're running this race, surround your people with other people who are focused on eternity. And this picture that I got as I was sitting here and I was studying this passage and I was like, man, this sounds so familiar. And then I was reminded of Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2, which reads this. Therefore, since we also have such a, a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the picture I got as I was seeing this. He says, surround yourself with people who will cheer you on. When you get the call and something bad happens in your family, you have a loved one passed away, when you get a cancer call, uh, when you have a kid that's acting up in your family, when you have these circumstances that, that go on in your life, Paul says, find people who whenever those things are happening and they're, they're distracting, get that crowd of witnesses to cheer you on in the race, saying, you can do it, you can do it. Come on, Andy boy, you can do it, man. Finish the race well. That's what he's saying. He says, surround yourself with these types of people. And this happens best in the context of a community. That's why we say we is better than me here at the church. Everybody say that with me. We is better than me, right? This is what we're about at this church. Because when things happen, here's the deal. Most of you sit in here and think, I don't ever have to be a part of a community or be a part of a connect group, which is a tragedy in itself. Because here's what happens, is life happens, you get a call, and you have a tragedy in your life, and then you have no one that can come up behind you to even cheer you on. And then the first thing to go is guess, guess what it is? Church. And Paul says, surround yourself with other people who will cheer you on, not only in this present moment, but know that there is a cloud of witnesses in heaven of those who've gone before you going, you can do it. You got this. Come on, man. You can finish the race. Come on, girl. You got to keep moving. And there's this cloud of witnesses in the present and in the past that are cheering you on and they're roaring in heaven saying, finish the race well. Don't be disqualified. Amen. You can clap about that. That's a good clap. There you go. Amen. But it's not only that, but it's also listening to, to books and podcasts and, and making sure that what you're intaking into your life is, is cheering you on as well. Because too often what we do is we, we take these things and we bring them into our body and they're not cheering us on. 
we listen to podcasts and these videos and this music and it's just, it's deteriorating our minds and we're, we're off the path and we don't even know where, where heaven is anymore because we're over here in, in la-la land. So he's saying surround yourself with these things and, 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 and immerse yourself in these things so that that way you can continue to run the race. The third point here, he says, eagerly wait for the Savior. Eagerly wait for the Savior. Verses 20 through 21, look with me there. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition to the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to uh, himself. He says, guys, here's the deal. He said, hey, look, you have not arrived. Forget what's behind, reach forward. Surround yourself with a cloud of witnesses that are gonna cheer you on every, every mile that you run. Keep cheering you on. He says, while you do that, eagerly wait for the Lord. And he says, this is why, because your citizenship is in heaven. Now that's a word. If we could do, I could do a whole sermon on your citizenship is in heaven because the church is more divided today because of a red color, blue color, because you're Democrat and Republican, because you're black and you're white, because you are some definition the world's given you. We are so divided in the church today and we don't realize that our true citizenship is in heaven, y'all. So when you look at someone to your left or right, look to your left, go ahead, look to your left, look to your right. When you look at that person, that is a brother and sister in Christ and not your enemy. Can I get an amen there? Amen. So, so your citizenship is in heaven. And so when it rolls around and there's political elections happening and there's things going on in your community, you're not sitting here going, you're my enemy. You're saying, hey, we are a partner and a co-heir in Christ. And we're going to work to make sure that we take care of what God's given us and we're going to implement what he wants and what his kingdom stands for. And too often I hear too much in the church that you just, I mean, it's like, I can't stand those people. On that side. I can't stand those people over there. It's like, what are you doing, bro? If you are in Christ, you are a community, one community. And so our citizenship is in heaven. But this is the big thing that he begins to drive across. He says, because your citizenship's in heaven, we eagerly await for our Savior. Eagerly is the key word there, right? You're not just waiting and sitting around, oh, when's Jesus going to return? He says, eagerly wait. In the Greek there, uh, it, it basically means that these three words. It says, to, as you wait, you wait with great care, with perseverance, and with patience. Now, as a pastor and a preacher, I said, those are three good points to wrap up the message right there. And I said, thank you, Lord, you have provided uh, at the end of this sermon to wrap it up well. So I want to break those down for you. So, so as you wait, you wait by taking great care. But what? Great care of what? You take great care of the things that God's given you in this temporary world. Right, Genesis 1.1 says that God created the heavens and the earth. And so he's created these things for our enjoyment and the temporary, not to become idols in our lives, but to enjoy them. And we are to take care of them. Now, how many of you are Airbnb people? Come on, where's my people at? Airbnb? Anybody? Oh, no. Only one person? Anybody else? Oh, okay. Whew, okay, thank you. Uh, so Airbnb... I love it because, I, you know, hotels are great, but Airbnb is really fantastic because you get little chocolates when you come in, right? And so I'm like a sweet tooth and I'm like shoving those in my pocket. My wife's like, you're not supposed to take them all. I'm like, eh, no, I paid for it. So I start shoving them in my pocket. Anyway, so Airbnb, so you leave your permanent residence to go stay in a temporary residence. And when you arrive at your temporary residence, there's a sheet on the counter. And on the sheet on the counter, it tells you, as you live in this temporary residence, this is how we want you to maintain and keep the residence. 
Now, if you're like me, uh, when I leave my temporary residence, I want to leave it better than I found it. Amen? And so as I'm there, I'm going to abide by the rules of the temporary house to take care of it, to maintain it, so that when I leave the temporary home and be with the eternal home, my people who own that Airbnb are happy people. Amen? And so the same thing with us is that as we are in this temporary home, God's given to us, he's given us a guideline about how to preserve and how to take care of this temporary home so that when we leave, he's glorified through the whole process. Amen? And so that's what he means as you're taking care of, as you're waiting, you're taking care of the world, but also taking care of one another. We love one another. We serve our community. We pray for the lost. We do everything we can in this temporary window to make an internal impact in the world. The next one is to wait with perseverance. Paul says in Romans 5, 3 through 5, that perseverance produces, or suffering produces uh, perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And so there's this promise that, that as believers, there is hope in our suffering. You think about someone who doesn't know Jesus, they just see the suffering. They don't see beyond that. There's no hope in it. But as a believer, when we go through suffering, uh, there is hope in it because we're being conformed in the image of Christ and we're looking forward to a future hope where suffering will be no more. Many of us in, our, in this congregation the last couple of weeks lost loved ones. I lost my grandpa, some of you lost your daddy, some of you lost your grandpas as well, and, and it's hard to walk through that. But as a believer, we can look beyond that death and go, there is something more behind this. So he says, wait with perseverance. And the last one is to wait with patience. Wait with patience. How many of you have said in the last couple of years, would Jesus just return already? Who is that? Where are my people at? Yeah, my wife's always like, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. I said, okay, you go home. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Everybody's like, I hope his wife's still alive. <laughs> She's watching online right now. Uh, anyways, but I was reminded of this, of this truth. This truth is this, is, is from 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. It says, but do not forget one thing, dear friends. What the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance and church, this is, this is the promise we have, is that even when we think that he's not coming, even when we're discouraged, it says that he will keep his promise and that he's not slow. And what we consider slow is just in our linear timetable. God's operating in his time, his perfect time, and he's bringing all things together. Would you bow your heads with me? You know, as we talk about this subject of eternity, I think for many people that are in this room, um, you begin to ask the question, man, I don't know if I will be there. Let's be honest, when I was 15 years old, I began to ask myself, what is beyond the grave? When I am buried, what is beyond that grave? And I think some of you came here today thinking, I'm just going to hear another message, but then this question hits your heart. I don't know if I will be somewhere beyond the grave. And I want to tell you this morning that there is hope beyond the grave, and that hope, his name is Jesus. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life and not perish. See, your sin separates you from God, but Jesus came to reconcile you back to him. And the Bible says that if we admit that we are sinners, that if we confess him as Lord and we believe in our hearts that he is who he truly says he is, that we will be saved. Do you know him? Are you confident today that if you were to leave this life, you would enter into the next life and you would see Jesus face to face? Are you confident with that answer? 
can you confidently say yes? And if you're in here today and you say, hey, look, Cameron, I'm just not sure. Like, you, you, you're kind of making me think about this, and I'm just not sure if I could actually say confidently yes, if I was to die today, that I would for sure be face-to-face -face with Jesus. Then I want to give you an opportunity to make that right. I want to give you an opportunity to say, hey, look, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. And so uh, if that's you this morning, I, I'm not doing any games or anything, but if that's you this morning, I just want you to just slip your hand up and just, just say, hey, Cameron, I, I need you to pray with me. I, I'm ready to make my life right with God. I want to make sure that I'm going to see him in the next life. I see you. Thank you. Go ahead and raise your hand if that's you. We're going to lead you through a time of prayer. Anybody else? This is the time. Are you confident that if you were to die today that you would see him tomorrow? All right, so if you raised your hand, I just want you to pray this prayer after me. There's nothing magical about it. God sees you right where you are. He sees your heart. He knows exactly what's going on. He sees your surrender. So just pray this after me. Father, I admit that I'm in need of you. And God, I believe that Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And I confess to you, God, that there is sin in my life. And so God, I ask that you come into my life and cleanse me, make me new. I surrender my life to you. My life is yours. I want to walk with you and I want to know you. So my life is yours now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I pray for everybody in this room right now. God, I ask that you give us boldness and courage to keep running the race. And God, I pray that you would surround us with people who would cheer us on along the way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.